Apple pulled out the big guns and aimed them right at Big Blue with its 1984 Super Bowl spot. With an unprecedented million-dollar budget, a trendy Hollywood director, and a high-concept right out of George Orwell, Steve Jobs and company changed the advertising game. They also rocketed their new Macintosh computer into direct competition with IBM. The buzz was only made more powerful by the enigmatic decision to only air the commercial one time. It's a success companies have been chasing with big-money Super Bowl ads for almost 40 years. But there is more to this story than just a hit commercial. So we poured ourselves some Jack Rose cocktails in preparation for tossing our verbal sledgehammers at this enigmatic ad. It's time for episode 54 of Toasting the Classics, Apple's 1984. Welcome to Toasting the Classics. This is the podcast where we take something that people call a classic, drink something inspired by the classic, and then talk about it to decide whether it's still a classic. I'm Dave MacArthur. My name is Clint Lanier. So this was your choice this week. What yeah. did you pick? Well, it's it's one of the most famous commercials that I can think of. It's called 1984. Uh, and it was actually aired the first time uh, was it December 31st, 1983. Mm -hmm. And uh, later for the Super Bowl, for Super Bowl XV 1118, I guess, in 1918, yeah. January 1984. So, uh, which I think we can all we can all acknowledge was the worst Super Bowl that ever happened. It was uh, the Redskins uh, lost like 38 to nine oh, against the Raiders? True. I actually remember that Super Bowl being very upsetting because I was about six. Well, you were um, you were living in Washington at the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, exactly. outside, outside of DC. And I, I don't remember if I watched the Super Bowl that they won the year before, Super Bowl 17. Mm -hmm. But I know it's kind of legendary how hammered my dad got uh, watching <laughs> Redskins win their first Super Bowl. And uh, right. he did not make a good impression on his in-laws. <laughs> uh, well, that's, you got uh, to do that if it's your team. I mean, you got to celebrate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He said he said years later when my, um, my the, the Saints won the Super Bowl and my brother-in-law got hammered watching the saints my dad was making apologies for him because he remembered <laughs> something very similar happening this commercial was another big part of it and, and the reason i picked it i thought you know it, it, it's iconic founded a lot of movements in commercial making and advertising it did a lot for apple itself for the, for super bowl advertisements i mean there's just there's a lot of things that, yeah. it, that it really did i was sort of curious whether this was i mean obviously super bowl airtime would have been expensive mm -hmm. from the beginning right right but I think this was, and it, according to what I read, this was kind of what kicked off it being like the kind of thing where you'd actually do a production for for a big ad. And and I guess it also kind of felt like that same time period they started doing that with music videos. Like there'd be big production music videos, yeah. like Thrill. I think Thrillers like the same year, right? Eighty three. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I remember that being like a really big thing, and it being. I can't believe that people spent this much money to do a music video. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, this was, well, it's certainly the start of the importance of the Super Bowl commercial, right? right. So like, for example, right. you would wait to, to roll out a product and announce it at the Super Bowl, which is what they did. Um, then you would also put, pour a lot of money into the, these commercials. Apparently, like the biggest sponsor of Super Bowl commercials before this was Coca-Cola. And they were uh -huh. just kind of yeah. like, you know, I'd like to buy the world of Coke type of thing. And there's the joke, the Joe Green ad. You remember that one? Uh, from when we were kids, the one where the the, the kid uh, gives the football player a Coke after the oh, yeah, after yeah. the football game. Oh yeah, was, a, yeah. It was, uh, it was uh, Mean Joe Green. Yeah. 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 And yeah, yeah. Uh, and he throws the kid his sweaty, disgusting, smelly jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always, uh, thanks, Joe. Well, they called this like a mini movie, and it is. I mean, there's there's like an arc, 
and there's a theme and there's there's suspense and there's you know and it builds and it's mm-hmm. you never see the product right the, the product isn't the the main point of it is the way the is the representation of the product like uh you know right. to, to to society and stuff right so so not even you, not even the product but there aren't even any computers in the ad there's nothing in it yeah there's nothing at there's all. nothing it's, yeah it's, they never they never even mention it they 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 imply a bunch of stuff what can you give us a breakdown of the uh for for those listeners who might not have seen it um it's on youtube yeah, um, if, you go, if you go if you go youtube apple 1984 you'll find it'll pop right up so my uh, synopsis is probably going to be longer than the actual commercial uh, <laughs> which is one it's, <laughs> it's exactly i think 59 seconds long i think is exactly. yeah something yes yeah, 59 so, yeah it's uh because you know pictures worth a thousand a thousand <laughs> words and certainly my words it's, it evokes 1984. It's some kind of dystopian authoritarian future. And there's a guy doing a voiceover of, you know, the kind of speeches that Big Brother would have given in, right. in the book 1984 and a big screen. Everybody's all in, in not really black and white. I saw a lot of references to it being all in black and white. There is color because you can see it's like people's drab, skin. It's like gray or there's something a, like that, right? It's, I think, now I heard somebody else said this, and I think this will be important. We could talk about it before. I believe it's supposed to be a blue tone to everything that they chose on purpose for, for, uh, for reasons that'll be clear if we talk about it. But anyway, it's, it's very monochromatic. um, Mm -hmm. And there's a bunch of people and there's this lady all in color dressed Mm -hmm. like a, like an American Olympian from the time period comes in and tosses a hammer through the, through the screen and breaks it. And uh, the voiceover just says, you know, find out why 1984 isn't going to be like 1984. Probably more literary knowledge than I think you would depend upon in an ad in 2022. Yeah, but, you know, right. if you're targeting uh, early early user computer buyers, maybe you'd go ahead and right. shoot for that educational demographic. Well, Apple, yeah. Apple did target the more intellectual <laughs> crowd, right? I mean, they were the young, hip, you know, Berkeley, Stanford. Yeah type of crowd and, and uh so the novel was written in 1949 and so it's it's what 35 40 years old at that yeah point. now it's like you know there's really been a resurgence in 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 that because we hear that a lot i mean um with uh this kind of quote-unquote cancel culture and a lot of that stuff that's happening but i don't know what how popular that novel was in, in actual 1984 I, I don't i don't know i remember i remember my dad telling me when 1984, when the year happened, that there was a book called 1984 that had been written about the, about the future. Uh-huh. And I, I wonder now, was that on people's minds when it became 1984? Was that, right. were people thinking about, you know, oh, it's actually 1984 here? Or, right. Because right. I sort of was vaguely aware of it when it was 2001. I remember thinking, hey, this is the year, you know, from that movie. 2001, but, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to read real I'm quick. I'm, I'm going to read what, what, so Big Brother's on the on the big screen. Everybody's watching Big Brother. He's sure. the one that, that's making this speech, right? So I'm just going to read what what he uh, what he says because it's kind of hard to understand because they they cut between Big Brother on the screen to the drones watching Big Brother and then to mm-hmm. the to the uh, protagonist, I guess, running in full color um, with a sledgehammer. He says, uh, today we celebrate the first glorious anniversary of the information purification directives. I have to read it in his voice. Right. We have created for the first time in all history a garden of pure ideology where each worker may bloom, secure from the pests purveying contradictory thoughts. Our unification of thought is more powerful a weapon than any fleet or army on earth. 
We are one people with one will, one resolve, one cause. Our enemies shall talk themselves to death and we will bury them with their own confusion. We shall prevail. And, Smash. Yeah, and that, that's the point when she, uh, she ends it all with a sledgehammer. And, and that voice, of course, is the voice of Grandpa Pig from Peppa Pig. Yes. Yeah, isn't Which that wonderful? A very strange line. I love it. At least it wasn't George. Dinosaur. Rawr. Oh, so we have children <laughs> of the same age cohort. Apparently. Yes, we do. Yeah. So it, it, it only occurred to me after I watched this a couple of times for the show that perhaps I should know what the guy's saying in the background. I was just listening. I was like, oh, it's Big Brother talking. Why would you listen to yeah, Big yeah. Brother? Would he actually um, say anything? Or Yeah, he's actually saying. Yeah. Was he actually saying anything worth listening to? So it, it was kind of it kind of goes along with the rest of the right. with the rest of the message of the of the commercial. It, it, right. it adds a little something to understand what he's saying. I was going to say, of course, that the symbolism has always been that Big Brother was IBM, right? That Yeah, it sounds like Big Blue. It right. just occurred to me. Yeah, Big Blue. When Apple came out, so this is 83. This is for the Apple Macintosh was, was what the commercial was for, which is fairly revolutionary. I mean, it, it, it was a really a revolutionary computer. It had its own monitor. It had essentially a Windows system, a very early Windows that they stole from Zero, or they were given, it had a mouse. Given to them by Xerox, of all things. Um, the mouse was given to them by Xerox. Yeah, the technology for the mouse because Xerox huh. didn't know what they Xerox didn't know what they would do with it. So like, oh, here you go. You can you guys, you guys can use it. So when did when did PCs start using a mouse? The PCs didn't start using a mouse, I believe, until the Windows operating system or MS DOS, maybe. No, so like not, it, no, it must have been the Windows system. So that would have been like eighty nine. Did you ever have a Macintosh? Yes, yeah. I, I, I had a okay. Mac. I had an Apple IIe. I had an Apple II GS, yeah. So, I, but I never had the yeah. original Macintosh. The, no, I didn't have the original Macintosh. I had a Commodore sixty four about this time. That's what. Yeah, I you were telling me about that. Yeah, because yeah. apparently that could play Wolfenstein. It could, yeah. Well, it could play all the. It could play computer games, and then all the Atari games, which is fantastic. Because my mom thought it was a computer, but it wasn't. It was mm-hmm. a video game. <laughs> so before yeah. I had the Atari, I had the Commodore sixty four. Their goal was to put. A Macintosh was to move the computer into the household, you know, out of the office okay. and um, make it a household computer. And IBM was targeting businesses. I mean, that's what they wanted to go after. I think IBM was using DOS at this time. Maybe, maybe they were already using DOS. I'm not sure. Which was Microsoft's thing. IBM was totally about business. Apple was like, no, we're going to move into the computer. And so we're going to take the power from Big Brother, which is the business, and we're going to move it, give that power to housewives and 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 people at home, and 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 you can you can use a computer at home, just like mm. you, you know these big businesses have it. I think they're insanely expensive at the time. Um, I can't remember. I, I was trying that. to find that. I, I don't know how much. Uh, I don't know how much this computer costs. It said it, they were like really happy to sell seventy thousand of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking right. that doesn't sound like a lot of computers. Doesn't sound like much, does it? Yeah. No. no, they were they were quite expensive. And you have to you have to understand. I mean, you're looking at a time when a computer was not a ubiquitous thing like it is now. I mean, no, you no, know, not at all. Offices they were trying to convince. So IBM was trying to convince offices to get rid of the typewriter and get a computer. I mean, that's where we mm-hmm. were, right? Uh, and Apple was trying to convince you that you needed a, a computer at home. And you're like, why would I need a computer at home? I mean, what what could I possibly do with a computer? When did War Games come out? Like '86 or something like that. You know, we had the '83, I think. '83. Okay. So yeah, 
I think it's Amir. Already had a modem on his computer. Yeah, he had a modem, right? All, all sorts of stuff that I don't even think the Mac, this original Mac, the 128. I'm not sure it had a modem and things like that no. that you could put into it. Well, modems, modems were external anyway. Do you remember him plugging? He would actually take the headset of his phone and put it on the modem, right? Oh, uh, okay. It was it was super old school. It was not internal or anything like that. No, it probably didn't. And and I know I know the software was expensive and it was pretty limited. It didn't have a, a ton of uh, you know programs that you could use with a PC. You had to really code it. You had to use code. Um, mm -hmm. Even with DOS, you had to know the, all the commands and stuff, and they're all. Yeah, I remember that. I think this did have sort of point and click. If you look at the picture, um, you'll see it has like a window in the middle of it. So yeah. you know, it was it was pretty revolutionary for the time. But I think Apple always had kind of a philosophy of like not selling to people who were necessarily computer enthusiasts. Right. So that so that some of the guys that were computer enthusiasts were like, I I want I, I, this. I can't work on this myself enough i can't like overclock it and like add ram and things like all the things that those kinds of guys like to do right this right. and it's just like the iphone when your iphone battery is dead you get a new iphone you know, you're not supposed to you're not, <laughs> True. You're not supposed to right. fix you're not supposed to fix your iphone you're supposed to move on to the next piece of hardware and i think oh. that was already the attitude yeah. with the macintosh uh apple just in the past three days uh thereabouts and this is kind of revolutionary said that that you are allowed now to fix your iphone Oh, really? Your iPad. Okay. Yeah, it's, which is huge. Um, they were getting a lot of blowback from people because they were disposable. I mean, once your contract ran out and you had an old version, right? What's the, and, and something right. breaks on it, what's the use of fixing it? Just throw it away and get a new one anyway. But a lot right. of people were like, can you, like the amount of waste with lithium ion batteries and everything else, the amount of waste mm -hmm. that, that is going into these, all the pollution that they're causing from strip mining yeah, yeah. and terrible places. And you just throw it away, you know? Uh, so yeah. they, they finally kind of bowed to the pressure, which I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad they did that. It, it makes a lot more sense to be able to maybe upgrade an old iPhone or iPad or something versus just tossing it, you know? I mean, let's be honest, though. Probably only 1% of users are actually going to do that. <laughs> That's true. You know? That's true. I, but it's nice to have you. I'm not cracking open my iPhone and trying to figure out how to, you know, upgrade the hardware. I'm not doing well, like that. Like you said, so. it's, not, it's not for everybody. All right, no. I'm going to have a drink. Are you drinking? I was just about to say, yeah, no, I hadn't started yet. I was waiting until we introduced it. What, what did you go with for the drink? This was your pick. So Okay, so this is this is called a Jack Rose cocktail. Okay. It includes apple brandy. Get it? Apple brandy. So really, I was like, right. I, either, right. I either have to make something with apple brandy or we'll, we'll do apple cider. So it's a Jack Rose, so it's an ounce and a half of apple brandy. Um, which was traditionally called Apple Jack, which is where the name comes from, Jack Rose. Uh -huh. um, so Apple Brandy, uh, you've got about a half uh, ounce of grenadine and about three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice to kind of balance it out. How's that look for the color? Did that, did that come out about the color that you ended That looks up with? really good. Mine's a, mine's a okay. little bit lighter because I'm using, um, I, oh, I, made, I, I made my own grenadine and it just uh -huh. didn't, it, it didn't come out as pink as the, I think they use food coloring grenadine. Yeah, I think they do too. So yours is from what? From like from like raw pomegranates or yeah. So okay, it's just pomegranate syrup, and uh -huh. you, you mix it with uh, sugar. So boil sugar, it. water, pomegranate, basically. Yeah, and just boil it down until you get a nice thick syrup. Here in the Southwest, pomegranates are a plenty. Uh, certain times of the year, yeah, I've got a lot. Yeah, of we have pomegranates. So. We have pomegranates growing uh growing on our block in, in Las Cruces. It's kind of appropriate the Jack Rose is the cocktail for tonight because I am in New Jersey 
and oh, the Jack yeah. Rose was invented in, in New Jersey, supposedly. Because the, uh, or actually the first, I think the first licensed distillery in the U.S. was in New Jersey. Okay. And they made, and they made apple brandy, apple, apple Jack from New Jersey apples. Because apples were, were pretty plentiful back then. So that. Uh, yeah, I think in, I think in colonial times and like mm-hmm. well into the modern times, I think cider and mm-hmm. apples were yeah. like the number one source of liquor in America, like for a long time. No, you're absolutely right. Um, famously, John Adams really didn't drink, uh-huh. but, he ha- but he had a pint of hard cider every morning <laughs> for breakfast. Right. I mean, yeah. we drink it throughout the day, but he didn't drink. You know, Johnny Apples he actually was a real dude and he sold apple saplings. He would travel around and sell apple saplings to like people that had a settlement because they wanted apple trees so they can make cider. I mean, that's what they would do, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just a really prominent drink in, in, in the old times. I love, I love cider. Oh, so do I. I don't know why. I don't know why there isn't more. So it's a really good drink. Yeah. What do you think? Is Have you had this cocktail before? I have. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a really good cocktail. I read it. I read an anecdote actually where there were two reporters for the Washington Post. I think this is about 2003, 2004 or something like that, mm-hmm. where they decided to go around Washington, D.C. trying to find a bar where they could get a Jack Rose. Really? And it was like they couldn't find one. Yeah. And they finally found one bartender who had to make it, made it for them. And they bought him like a bottle of brandy as like part of the article. And it's like mm-hmm. a big. It's, I would think it's, it's, not a, it's not a hard drink to make, you know? No, it's very easy to make, but people just don't have apple brandy on hand, was well, what they were saying. Point, they said, you know, even if you look it up and here's what the ingredients are, people that, that just didn't have apple brandy. I was surprised. The liquor store right around the corner from my apartment had two bo- two bottles of wine of, of apple brandy to choose from. Really? I was like, I okay. I had to buy through a uh, bulletproof window and I'm not allowed to actually, not allowed to actually go into the liquor store. The guys yeah. get it for me. Yeah. Just slide, so. slide the money under the, uh, into like the, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah. I think they used to, you could tell he had like a whole shop, but they locked it all up and everything. I think because they're not enforcing any like larceny um, in New York anymore. Yeah. So people that own stores, like everything is locked up behind glass now in every wow. store you go to. So yeah, not, not everywhere. I mean, you know, you can still go buy a Coke, well, I tried to find out what what is Steve Jobs drink, and he really didn't drink. So um, uh, I would I was about to say he doesn't seem like somebody that would yeah, drink. Bit of a bit of a wine guy. Back to the commercial. I think this particular one we mentioned the first in that it it, it kind of it set. Oh, I guess it invented the Super Bowl commercial. I guess we could we could say that this sort of. I think so. I think it's fair to. There, like I said, there were Super Bowl commercials before, and it was expensive airtime. But I think this was. This was like Super Bowl commercial as theater, the way it is today. Yeah. A lot of people watch the Super Bowl expecting to watch commercials. Commercials, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they know, rate and, they rate the, the Super Bowl commercials. They'll they'll talk about uh-huh. which one is the most popular and they'll get that from like which one trends on Twitter and stuff. Do you do you remember the one year? I think it was like right before the dot-com bubble burst, where it was just like all these dot-coms at the Super yeah. Bowl. Just yeah. like company companies that never even created a product that had right. like million dollar commercials and do you remember that? Was, do you remember uh, the uh, the hand puppet pets.com? It was like a little yes. it was like a little uh, yeah. hand puppet dog with a microphone and like little yeah. arms would swing out and he, it was a pets.com. Yeah, I remember that one had a Super Bowl commercial. Uh-huh. I mean they all had yep. it. you know, not to get on too much of a tangent about commercials, but this one time um, when my wife was working as a like as a resident. They were all, she and I had been watching TV and they had this commercial for Quiznos with these horrible little finger puppets, oh. puppets like singing a crazy song. And I, I was talking to her, I was like, wow, that is the worst commercial I've ever seen. We were laughing about it. 
So she's in the OR the next day and she mentions it, how bad this commercial is. And the guy she's working with, like gets kind of quiet. He's like, you know, my wife is an ad exec and her company pitched to Quiznos and lost to that. Oh no. Like whatever, whatever they pitched was worse in Quiznos' yeah. eyes. I still the remember the that. This is how bad that commercial though is though. Cause I still, terrible. I still remember it. Cause yeah. the song went new Quiznos subs. They have a pepper bar. And, and it was like, really? Like, it was just a Quiznos, 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 Quiznos. Yeah, yes. This one, anyway. this, particular, this particular commercial though had for the time it was groundbreaking. So they used Ridley Scott, Sir Ridley Scott himself, yeah. as the director for this commercial, coming right off of yeah, that alone, coming off of Blade Runner into this because Blade Runner came right. out too. I think their budget was like nine hundred grand. And what was funny about it, the backstory on this, so so they get it made at this marketing company they're working with there in the Bay Area makes it, and they make it with the with discussions with uh, Jobs and Wozniak, right? The guys at Apple. And so, and they love it. They're like, yeah, this is because that's what, that's what jobs is all about. Like we're going to kill IBM. We want to go after IBM. And yeah. What's the, what's the phrase? What's the phrase in that kind of creative disruption, right? Disruption. Like that's and definitely their, their business model, right? right or absolutely. Back then and back then anyway, when they, were young guys. they yeah. used to, they used to fly a pirate flag from the flagpole at uh, Apple headquarters, Pirates of Silicon Valley. There's actually a movie called Pirates of Silicon Valley. It was kind of all about that. Stuff they did. You, but, um, you sort of have a you sort of have a dog in this fight, right? Because you used to work for IBM. I was an I, yeah, I was an IBMer for about five minutes, uh, and oh, I was there. Okay. I was there. I was there in two thousand with the the dot com bubble burst in San Jose, and everybody oh, that burst suddenly People was jumping walking, out of windows. Walking work, <laughs> was walking to work, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, Jobs and Wozniak they were all excited about this commercial, and they present it to the board, and the board says no. The I love what. The, the story that happens next. So what happened was the advertising company before Jobs presented to the to the the board, the board of directors for Apple, the advertising uh-huh. company went ahead and bought a uh, bought a minute and a half, and the board says no, and then the, the advertising <laughs> company says, so they sold. They were able to sell off, you know, thirty second chunks to other to uh-huh. other companies, and so they sold off a thirty second chunk. And then they said, you know what? We're not able to sell that other minute. We have yeah. to do it for something. And we have this commercial. And it turns out they didn't even try to sell it. They're like, let's just do it. And so they did it. I thought it, I thought it was brilliant. I love it. I mean, that's because it's that's, a good move. Yeah. It's I mean, a good move. You know, they say no, we believe in it, so we're gonna do it anyway. So they aired it and it went down in history. What's also funny about this was they they aired it at like three places in the US. In local markets, back Jack, Wisconsin, and you know Stubeville, Iowa, I Twin mean, Twin Falls, Idaho. Yeah, in Twin Falls, Idaho. Right. So all these tiny little places, uh, like December thirty first, nineteen eighty three, so that they can get into the award season for like the Clio Awards and stuff like that. Yeah, I thought that was really funny how they got it in just in time for the Clios. Like, so yeah. that's already to me kind of <laughs> like the 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 uh the tail wagging the dog if yeah you know what i mean like right, people yeah. thinking about advertising awards yeah that's was that even a thing i never well, heard they, of those clio they awards until years they later. must have known what they had though i mean yeah you know, the competition was coke and a smile and well they got they went and got ridley scott to direct it 
which right. makes me wonder how much of the concept was done before they got him on board. Right. Cause it's his, it's his aesthetic. Oh, for sure. In, no, in no this ways, is you know, totally his aesthetic. Yeah. You can, you can see, you know, blade, blade runner. And I mean, you, you can see him coming right off of that cyberpunk type of, you know, yeah. I looked him up. I was looking at his IMDb and it's like, it's pretty outstanding. Right. His filmography. Oh, yeah. I did the same it's thing. Like, I, half the so movie. Just the, I was like, really? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, just as just as examples, Alien, obviously. I think that's everybody associates Ridley Scott with that. Blade yeah. Runner, same thing. Thelma and Louise. I know that that's the one that floored me. I was like, really? what? Yeah. yeah. The Martian. I didn't. I didn't associate that with Ridley Scott. Gladiator. Yes. Black yeah. Hawk Down. Yes. Yeah. Did you ever see the movie Legend? Oh with yeah. Tom Cruise. I read this. I read about this. Yeah. No, I never did because I had. I never had any desire to see that movie. It was on heavy rotation on HBO when I was a kid, and my sisters and I watched it like ten times for some reason. I don't even remember liking it, but we still just watched <laughs> it over and over again. I can't believe Ridley Scott ever worked again after. I mean, Blade Runner was was <laughs> know, right? Blade Runner was kind of a flop. The funny thing about Legend is like you've got there are two groups of people in the world. You're either Labyrinth or you're Legend, right? Because they came out about uh, the same time. Yeah, uh, you know, one's we one we liked we watched both of those. Yeah, I I mean I I definitely labyrinth I definitely like you're labyrinth labyrinth camp you're all about Bowie yeah and the witch but then King I have what was I it witch, witch King or something like Goblin that? King Goblin, Goblin King, King. Yeah, Jared Jared the, the Goblin King I I haven't seen Legend since I was sitting on the floor watching it with my sisters in 1984 or whatever that was. <laughs> I've heard that you know people they throw that term around oh it's a cult classic it's a cult classic uh -huh. and I think. I think that's just a way of saying it's really terrible, but we feel bad for them. So well, sometimes, yes. So, different things are called classics for different reasons. It's like some things are exactly what you're saying. They're just crap, yeah. you know, and, and maybe they're better than you would have thought, but they didn't get a bit, you know, there's a cool idea within like the crummy movie, like, like Highlander. Did you ever see that? Oh, yeah, yeah. That had a. That had a really cool concept, and I loved that movie when I was when I was a kid. But that wasn't some big box yeah. office success. That's no, definitely a, a cult classic. <laughs> but there's other things like Plan Nine from Outer Space that are just garbage movies that people yeah, watch because right. it's a garbage movie. Yeah, and it's a cult classic. So this is different that you mean by that. I guess is what I'm saying. I think I think you're right. Cult classic could also mean like it crosses threshold into like campy, kitschy. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we like it. It's good now, right? A um, couple of things: the uh, the the mindless drones in the commercial were skinheads. That uh, was like a local group of skinheads because they shot it in England. Oh, right. And, yeah, and Ridley yeah, Scott yeah. was like, "Okay, we need some mindless drones to all look, you know, emaciated and have you know mm -hmm. shaved heads." Hey, there's skinheads down the street. Let's just pick them up. Okay, so they um, look like they look like some of the characters from Train Spotting, actually. They sort of do, don't they? I was looking. There was one of the guys. He looked just like Spud from Train Spotting, and then I was thinking Ridley Scott used him in Black Black Hawk Down. Uh, oh, that's right. Actor, but I don't know if that's. Yeah. I don't think there's a connection there. One problem I have with the drink that you chose mm -hmm. is: what are we going to drink now if we do The Sun Also Rises or anything by John Steinbeck? Because apparently, there's this drink in The Sun Also Rises, and this was John Steinbeck's favorite drink. Well, if it's Steinbeck, what's you guys do California wine, I guess for him. Yeah, but, well, that's true. If we, if we, ugh, I don't want to do grapes of wrath. Though. That's such a slog. It's really long, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I've ever. Actually, I've read of mice and man. I've never read that though. 
That's a good point, though. Yeah, I probably have to do some some. Uh, I think some California wines. That would actually be pretty appropriate. But I think he. Um, I mean, you're you're right. Writing in the era of of, uh, of martinis too, and the sun also rises. Uh, you know, it's set in Spain and Paris in the teens and twenties. So it was all all kinds of lovely drinks from that time. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, choose from. So. You could probably do Spanish. Something from. I'm I'm sure there's some type of Spanish aperitif or something they talk about or digestive. I bet they drink grappa in that. Oh, probably. Don't you think, yeah. don't you think they drink grappa? Yeah, probably. So. I had grappa. I had grappa one time just because I had read about it in Hemingway when I was in I don't know Florence maybe, and I was just like, oh yeah, I don't like this. Grappa is not my favorite drink. Like, <laughs> but maybe we could try it again. Do you know? Do you know so. what grappa is? It's made from pomace, right? It's like brandy, but it's made from like the stuff you throw away. Yeah, you that's make exactly wine. right. Yeah, it's all it's all yeah. leftover stuff. And then they re referment it and then distill it um, mm-hmm. into basically like a moonshine. And uh, there's actually, it was funny in South America, they call it Pisco. Pisco, okay. Pisco sour is, is uh, kind of a famous drink in uh, like Chile and, and, and Peru. What's in, I think it's like lemon juice and grappa. And then I can't remember what the sweet, maybe just simple syrup. Good drink though. So we said that it, it, the budget, I didn't understand this when I was reading. The budget was $900,000, but they said they spent $375,000. Right. I, I didn't quite so, get that either. Does that mean he like pocketed $525,000? <laughs> $5, I don't, I have no I idea. I don't know how it works. Okay. That, that, that here's, another, here's another one. It says uh, Ridley Scott filmed it in England for about 370 grand. Um, yeah. That's the figure. I'm and, talking and the about. commercial had a production budget of 900 grand. So I guess, I guess the, production budget was 900,000. It cost literally 370 grand for the set and for the for the extras and for the actors and for the maybe it was 370 grand just to film it, just to shoot it. That's what everything cost. So the set, okay. you know, the set, the actors, you know, uh, okay. yeah. 370 grand, but it cost 900,000 for the production which would include the the things like the voiceover, it would include um, the background music it would include uh, the PR okay. for it, you know, because they, they they include the PR and stuff in the production budget. So it was probably okay. all of that. maybe even the ad time, maybe even the ad time no, part of that budget. I think the ad was different. Uh, yeah, after after it was made, uh, Jobs and John Scully bought one and a half minutes of ad time for the Super Bowl. So they bought the ad time after after that nine hundred grand. But it didn't say, I, I haven't been able to find a price like how much they spent on the actual ad time. Be interested to find out. Because now it's like, I heard now, like it's a million dollars a second or something ridiculous like that for the Super Bowl. So like that, 30, 30 million for a 30 second clip. That or, sounds about right, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of money. But but surely back then it must have been 500 grand for a 30 second spot or something. I don't know. So do you think that, is this the shortest thing we've done on the show? I mean, the last, I think the last record holder was the Mickey Mouse, right? Yeah, probably so. That was, what was that? Six, seven minutes, something like that? Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to. We're not done talking about this, though. We can still, there's still stuff to dig into. Oh, no, 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 no. There's, I was just, I was just, that was one of the things I took note of. I I just wanted to make sure, is this the shortest thing that we, have we, have we done? I mean, this would be, this would be hard to top. That's the the shortest thing. Yeah. I mean, we could like. hard to. We could do like, well, we talked about doing like a framed work of art 
you know, that would be right. just a something that has no, movie. has no duration, I guess. <laughs> right. Be ineligible right. for that. Yeah. Right. That, that could, that could work. Yeah. That's true. Did you look up um, the lady? It was, no, I who did the, uh, so, she, so I thought she was some like Olympic athlete because it said yeah. something about, you know, her name is on, on a major. Mm-hmm. And it said she was an athlete. So I was like, oh, she must have been an Olympian. So I looked her up a little bit. And said, no, she just like was an amateur athlete. But they had this great big audition. They just basically put out an audition for like pretty girls. And so a whole bunch of girls showed up and they were like, now you have to be able to spin this sledgehammer convincingly. Yeah. So it was like this, it was like this complete melee, apparently. Like they, they had all these British ladies in the street trying to spin hammers and one of them <laughs> let one get let one of them let one go into the middle of the street and almost hit a passerby oh geez the flying hammer right so she basically got the job because she could actually toss the hammer you know pretty she, convincingly she does a good job you know and it's it is i mean it's, it literally is a hammer throw but i mean that looks i mean the olympic sport hammer throw that's what it looks like it looks really difficult i mean she does the whole turning you know, mm-hmm. herself and like spinning her arms and her wrists and everything else too. Is that is that still an Olympic sport? Hammer drawing? Is that they still do that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever seen that. She was also in. Have you ever heard the song Nikita by Elton John? Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway, she was in the video for that. She played Nikita. In the video. This was back when Elton John was still pretending to like girls. So. <laughs> okay, I'll remember that. The men's hammer throw has been included since the founding of the Olympics, nineteen hundred. Women's was added in 2000. Okay. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah. that's why nobody was ready for it in 1984. Again, well, I, I think they were doing it. They just didn't have it in the Olympics. So this was a pretty effective ad. Well, was it? I mean... It sounded to me like... I was just thinking... I don't know. Everything we Maybe just this... said about... Everything we just said about the, the highbrow kind of presence of Apple versus mm-hmm. its competitors. Is the Super Bowl the best place... <laughs> To put your money for this ad? I mean, doesn't everybody watch the Super Bowl? I, I mean, I it, mean is, I, it is probably the biggest cultural event of the year in the U.S., that's, right? that's the assumption. I When I first met my wife, I remember she came down to visit me when I was in New Orleans, like my first year. We, we'd been dating for like six, seven months or something. Mm-hmm. And she came down to visit me, and I was like, oh, we're going to go over to my friend's house to watch the Super Bowl. And she was like, and she was like, well, is that what we're doing today? We're going to watch the Super Bowl? And I was just, she said I was just looking at her like, like, like I just, suggested that you know some sort of sacrilege or something because i i was like it's not a question of whether we're watching the super bowl it's just where are we going to watch the super yeah bowl, absolutely you know? but she was you know she was so much more russian back then when i first met her yeah, she yeah. was just like it, it had not occurred to her that we had to watch the super bowl we were just doing that right and nowadays nowadays we usually have like a party at our house for the super bowl so it's definitely a part of the fan i probably because of that interaction i think she thinks it as being a very american thing that we have to do like we have to watch the super bowl so i don't know how popular it would have been though in 1984 the 1984 super bowl so i'm just looking it up here they had an estimated 77.62 million viewers with a market share of 71 that's, that's a lot good. that's a lot considering that's a lot of people we, we probably only have like what 200 million people at the time in this country or I'd say two fifty. Okay, two fifty. We have three thirty now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably grown. That's a good question because sports are not as popular as they once were. I don't know if that means less people watch the Super Bowl, but I wouldn't be. I don't know. I'd actually want to look that up. I don't know how many people watch the Super Bowl now. I wouldn't be surprised if it was about the same number of people, but like a smaller percentage. Real life sports are not as popular with people under twenty, yeah. from what I've heard. 
I just like to watch other people play video games. So the last but, Super Bowl drew a hundred million. Okay. Okay. So that means that it if you if you do the math, that means it's probably gone down in popularity. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um and I would say it's probably from what you just kind of mentioned. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, back then you had three networks, and that was it, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't want to mm-hmm. watch the Super Bowl that day. What else were you going to do? <laughs> That's know? right. Typically, the other networks would probably show like reruns or something like that. So, because um, they didn't want to have to try to compete. Um, One of my friends, we used to go to my friend's house every year for the Super Bowl for I don't know about ten years there, mm-hmm. and. Um, he would always play on one TV the Super Bowl, and on the other TV he would put on Puppy Bowl from Animal Planet, so oh, that God. you know, yeah, yeah. so that other people could watch Puppy Bowl. Right, right, right. It was uh, kind of a funny tradition that we had. <laughs> we were watching the Super Bowl. My kids were were there, you know, in the room, mm-hmm. just to, to say they watched it. But they're both on their phones, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. they're watching it, but they're they're one of them streaming YouTube, one of them was just streaming music. Right. Know, one is probably playing Minecraft or something like that, you know, so there are all these other distractions and options. I saw somebody, this was a tweet and it was a joke, but somebody was saying, can someone recommend to me a Netflix show that I can watch while occasionally glimpsing up from my phone once every couple of minutes? <laughs> and I was, I was like, that's, that's what people do. That's people don't really pay attention to one thing right. the way they did. Like, I think it was quoted in one of the Wikipedia articles that was related to this. And there was a, a lady who was, like some kind of critical theorist or something, but she was talking about how Apple talks this way in this commercial, as if they're going to be changing the future and like breaking molds and stuff like that. But she was like blaming them for a future that we have today, which is like no one's ever present anywhere. They're always looking at phones. And I was thinking, okay, I'm with you that I don't like that future where everybody's, you know, no one's ever actually present. What is, what is the thing she said? She said, she said people are always elsewhere. And I was like, I'm with you on that. But I'm like, I don't know if I blame Apple. I think that's just where technology's going. I mean, yeah. that's when we did uh when we did uh, Ray Bradbury in Fahrenheit 451, that's what he's yeah. talking about. It's just the fracturing of your attention and and, and because of the right. technology, which I hate, but I don't know, I don't know that Apple is to be blamed to right. be blamed for that. It's like, do you blame McDonald's for being fat? You know, mm-hmm. I mean I don't I don't necessarily think that you can blame like an entity or, or an organization for what you do you know i mean they they make it convenient because they they sell a product that's great but you know you you if you don't have the self-discipline or self-control to you know yeah i be, think to be off your i phone, think that we've i'm hoping that what's going to happen with this constant device use is similar to what you're saying which is that you know when our parents were kids their parents were upset that they were sitting and watching TV all the time, but they right. didn't really regulate it for them. Like, have you seen Miss Maisel? Yeah. Where they just stick the kid in front of the TV. He doesn't know anything about watching TV. Yeah. And I was thinking like, but eventually the idea started to, to permeate in the culture, you know, that like, this is not good for kids. Like we need to re- start regulating this. Right. This is a problem. And like, to some extent, people cut back. It was always there. People were, I, I watched a ton of TV when I was a kid. Yeah. It's seen as being an issue if you watch too much. And it's the same thing with like fast food. Well, everybody's talking about how obesity is a problem and fast food is something that should be avoided, right? Right. People are still going to McDonald's to some extent, but not as much as they used to. And I'm hoping 20 or 30 years from now, people are going to realize we don't want to have our noses in technology the way we have it today. Like 
it'll probably it'll probably still be there and there'll probably still be some people who are completely addicted but i would hope it would eventually be seen as being like an addiction like a problem something that should be avoided i don't know i, yeah, I, I always feel like i'm alone on an island about this one because that's what i'm like with my kids i'm i'm strong about regulating their device use which broke down completely during the move because I just needed them to leave me the hell alone. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, right, right. But I think you know we're I trying think, to get back to normal. I think there there are enough people like you know myself where I just you know I need to get away, so I, I like go out for about an hour and a half every day. I try to try to go out. You know this. Try to go out mm-hmm. you know, for a nice hike or something. No devices, nothing mm-hmm. like that. I try to stay off devices if I can, and I, I and I do have to. But I do have to willfully do it. I mean, you know, right. there's, there's a, I, I feel a desire, like I'm, I need to check my, you know, check whatever, Twitter, and I check something. But then I, I, I catch myself, and I know I, I'm not going to do that. And that's the self-discipline. Like, you know, it would be really easy to go get a quarter pounder, but. Which way do you think people will go in the future? Do you think that, like, do we feel that need to get away from the technology just because we're older and we remember a time when we lived without it? Yeah. Or are we really learning some discipline and maybe other people in the future will learn it? Are they going to crave that? Is, are they going to know that there's a world where you don't have to be looking at your, know that there's value in not being on the devices all the time? Or are they just going to be like, this is what life is? I hate to think about that. That's like depressing to me. No, it is. But, it is. And, but, but I think, I think going back to the question of Apple, I think it, like I said, it's, it's like blaming McDonald's for, for, you know. Oh yeah. No, I don't blame any particular for, company. For, yeah. So these, these are human frailties, right? McDonald's is exploiting a human frailty, which is sugar and sugar, salt and fat taste good. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And they're giving it to it. They're just giving us what we want. Yeah. You know, we don't have, I don't have to go there. Right. You know, like, no, that's certainly true. I think, I think though, you know, one thing though, that to consider those, so Apple in 1983, Apple was, or 1984, Apple was fighting back against the man, but is Apple now the man? Uh, certainly with the um, mobile devices, I think yeah. unquestionably, Apple's definitely the, the market leader, right? There's other companies that think that people, you know, Detroit, Android and Samsung stuff. You know, are sort of chasing them, though, right? Am I wrong about? I actually don't know. That's my impression. I'm not. They almost have a monopoly on podcasting, right? So there's there's mm. they're one of the biggest networks for podcasting, and if if they don't like what you're saying, they can kick you off it. They have the we're split. I I don't know how other podcasts work, but our listeners are. It's it's the the, the big ones are Apple, Podbean, and. Um, Spotify and Spotify. And we get, it's pretty even between those three. Sometimes I look and we've, Apple's got a lead and sometimes it's Spotify being whatever, a little bit of Amazon thrown in there too. So I don't know. Yeah. That's probably the easiest platform, right? I mean, it's so easy to get Apple podcasts on your, on your phone. Um, So if they shut you down for whatever reason, now I think podcasts still to this day, I think there's people saying some pretty horrible stuff on podcasts. I don't think anybody cares. Not, I don't think anybody's know, I'm, not, I'm not even waiting into that. I'm just saying that they have ultimately that that commercial was about who has control, right? And that we want that they shouldn't have control. They shouldn't regulate thought. I mean, look at look at what he says. We celebrate the first glorious anniversary of the listen to this information purification directives. 
We've created for the first time a garden of pure ideology where each basically where everybody thinks alike. Our unification of thoughts is more powerful a weapon. We are one people with one will, one resolve, one cause, right? And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying anything about that. But like I'm saying they got the power to do that. I mean, YouTube's doing the same thing. If you don't toe the line, if they if you say something they don't like, they'll shut you down. Now it's Apple, like, but, but Apple, we have to I, ask I'm ourselves. Just, I'm just making the point of like, you know, where you live long enough to see to, when the hero lives long enough to become the villain, right? That's sort of what oh, we're yeah. at, right? I mean, it's like an old trope, but it's a it's true. You know, Apple controls, uh, you know, at least a third, but I, I would say it's a big margin. I think Apple podcasts are probably bigger than, than Podbean, probably bigger than, um, than Spotify. Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. I, um, I just, the only, the only empirical data i have is our podcast yeah, so it's, yeah. it's it's pretty evenly split but, but you also have you also um, have the app, you also have the app store which is huge right with the number of app uh, of apple mm-hmm. users yeah if you yeah, can't get right. your app, if you can't get your app into their app store you know you're you're dead right i mean you can yeah. I'm sure you can sell that to android but i mean that the market that's cut off if you can't get into their app store because they don't like what you're saying and they don't like their app or whatever plus all the privacy issues with Apple, you know, are they tracking your data? All the different apps are tracking. I mean, right. so there's a lot of there's a lot of it that they have become big brother. I wonder if so in the actual 1984, one thing we mentioned is that like there there were fewer there were very few companies controlling what everybody consumed in terms of media because there was hardly any cable yet. There were just a few newspapers, a few radio stations and everybody got like four channels on TV. That in that time it would have been much more like for censorship and in fact i think it was i think we didn't really get it there was you got almost nothing in terms of uh content in those days right it would have been very hard to get anything like there was a lot more censorship on tv and stuff like that when we were kids i think until there started to be cable and then when there was the internet and then like today there's a whole lot of different things there's not a whole lot of censorship today it's just i think there are some attempts to bring it back in line to where it was back. They're trying to shut down some voices that are saying things that people don't like and upsetting people. And maybe not when we were kids, but not long before we were kids, if you were saying anything that wasn't like the political line in the country, like you had to, you had to like publish little pamphlets and pass it out on the street in Greenwich Village. You know, it was really hard to get your voice heard with the kind of crazy stuff people talk about on the internet. I don't know if it's really like a heyday of censorship, I guess is what I'm saying today. I know it feels that way sometimes because there's some prominent examples of it, but there's still a whole lot of information out there. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. And actually, I mean, censorship is just one small part of it. But what I'm saying is that they have, <clears throat> they control the data. I mean, Apple really does. Yeah. They control the data. Whether they want to censor yeah. something or not, they can. You know, apps, they can, they can shut you off. Plus, again, all your privacy data. They know everywhere you're going. If you've got an iPhone, they know everywhere you've been. <laughs> you know, got all your yeah. data. They've got everything. Yeah, and, this is true. Big big data is a much is a much more nuanced threat. All, all than I'm just saying censorship. is, all I'm yeah. saying is they, that in 1984 they were the young scrappy upstart that mm-hmm. wanted to to take it to the man, and now you know they are the man. There are cell phone companies out there. I can't remember any of them. I think there are like two or three cell phone companies that are selling like like untrackable cell phones, like. You can't do anything with them. I mean, that's the downside. Like you have no GPS on them. You can't. You can't download. You know, do a Google Maps on them. You can't. You can't right. do anything with them. All you can do is like call people, 
you know, but I mean, well, that's, I always, I always think that there's always some app or something that's like, you know, I know it's going to give my data to somebody and I'm like, I don't, the, what, what this thing does is better than, I don't care about that that sure. much. I'm not, I didn't murder anybody. I don't care. Right, that's, where I went. That's, fine, <laughs> but, that's fine. But you know what? There, there are, there are just like it in, in 19, when they made this commercial, there were enough people that, because they said that after they aired this commercial, they sold about three and a half million worth of Macintoshes just after the advertisement ran. They judged it a success, right? I mean, so there clearly were enough people that shared, you know, their mindset that, you know what, it's not right that IBM has all this power, that we need to distribute the power among people and blah, blah, blah. So there are probably a lot of people that are really into those terrible cell phones that do nothing but you know, voice talk, but but they don't track you and all that other stuff. And that appeals to probably enough people to keep those companies alive, right? So um, maybe, maybe, yeah. Depends think, on what their costs are and stuff. But yeah. But um, I can see there being a market for that. Yeah. I mean, just there's probably a market for everything. But there was an article, it's sort of similar to what we're talking about. There was an article from the New York Times that was like we're talking about this ad after it came out. Uh-huh. And they were talking about future where internet shared electronic message boards would lead to a society with a better balancing of political power. <laughs> right. And I was thinking about that for a minute and I was thinking, well, that certainly didn't turn out to be true. But then I thought about it and I was like, no wait, that's kind of the problem is that there's everybody is getting a little bit of political power. Mm. Right. Sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people involved in the national debate today that frankly, most of us would rather just didn't have a voice. You know, would just be like, you know, why don't you guys just be quiet? I don't think the New York Times had in mind the kind of people that are getting political power today, <laughs> right. you know, but it's what they meant. You know, if they really thought through the ramifications, you know, better balancing of political power does not mean just the people you like get more of a voice. It means everybody gets more of a voice. And that's kind of what's wrong today, weirdly but, enough. But I think in, in, in tandem with that, though, was also the, um, the thought that with so much information out there, accuracy of information would not be an issue. Like people would know more. Like we would, we would have, you know, do our due diligence. We'd go out and research whatever it happened to be. And that's just not the case. Instead, we listen to crackpots and they'll say something stupid. And we say, oh, that person sounds smart. I agree with that idiot. You know, right. and what they're saying is completely asinine. Well, because nobody and, and instead, instead of going and researching it ourselves, which is, it takes no time to do that. And, and I, I struggle like there's, with my students all the time. I'm like, look, you read, see a Facebook meme before you like repost it or like it or whatever. It takes 30 seconds to go figure out if that meme is actually accurate or not. Yeah, for the most like, part. Did this yeah, person say true. that? Did this really happen? You know, and then once you, and, and like 99% of the time, it's, out of context it's incorrect or whatever that's what that's what the promise of of all this information was and that never that didn't happen at all i think we're living through something very much like what happened with the invention of the printing press in europe yeah where this explosion of information that was available to people just plain had effects that nobody could predict you know no it was almost the same thing if you think about the kinds of religious groups and things that suddenly exploded all across Europe as soon as people could actually read the Bible for themselves. Yeah, yeah it's I've very heard, similar to what's going I've heard, on. I've heard that what's going on today. Where yeah. I've heard that analogy. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Darn, darn it! I thought no, that was it's, my. No, it's, uh, it's a it's a good analogy. If you came here, work. 
if you came to it yourself, I'm, I'm really, really impressed. You, you should actually take Alex to uh, uh, National Archives. They have a copy of the Gutenberg Bible there. And actually, we keep cool, talking about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know where we saw that? You know where we saw a Gutenberg Bible, huh. actually, is at the Bible Museum. Which oh, is in DC. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were we were in oh, DC one year. Oh, uh, it was when it was when there was a government shutdown. So uh -huh. the entire Smithsonian was oh, shut down. The that only one's museum, private. Yeah, that one's private. right? The yeah. only museum yeah. open in the entire city was the Bible Museum. We went right. there, and like seventy five percent of it is actually really cool and really yeah. interesting and historical stuff about the Bible. And then there's like one room where you go in and there's like fire and brimstone threatening, <laughs> right, right. You know, eternal damnation well, and stuff. And, what I liked about what I liked about the National Archives version is they've got they've got the gutenberg bible on one side and on the other side they have an original illuminated manuscript and there's context for both of them they're like this one was bought by like some king and it cost him uh, however much gold to buy this illuminated manuscript bible right right it was it was hand drawn by monks at this monastery and it took him 15 years on vellum paper you know it, you know to totally illuminated it took about 15 years to transcribe this bible all in latin this is the gutenberg bible and it was bought by a guy like a merchant who owned a sailing ship or something like that and it's all right. in german it took it took gutenberg like two hours to make it or something like that with the, with right. the, with the printing press it's a really cool dichotomy absolutely so, yeah. but if you think about the, the control of information mm -hmm. that that would have totally. allowed absolutely. to have illuminated yeah. manuscripts that took 15 years to make yeah. versus the printing you know and 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 that that gutenberg bible that was bought by some local merchant was still an ex a very valuable item yeah absolutely. but nothing like totally. nothing like well, what and it would have been and like and also, you know, and also the difference between the illuminated bible it's all latin the Gutenberg Bible is German. You know, this is for this is what the lay people speak. Right. Like, oh, now yeah, I can yeah, read it because I don't. I don't. Now you can actually read it yeah, for yourself. I don't, yeah. I don't speak Latin. Oh, that's what that meant. Oh, that's what that. Well, meant. My, Wait a minute. God didn't say that I had to. You know, I I had to pay this much money to be forgiven for my sins. It's you know? it's the same. It it produces the same conflict that we have today in the Catholic Church and the way they responded to people interpreting the Bible for themselves. On the one hand, it's this wonderful democratic impulse for people to read the Bible for themselves and interpret it for themselves. On the other hand, most people are not qualified to interpret the Bible. They're going to come up with a bunch of garbage when they interpret the Bible for themselves. And it's what's going on today with all this information. It's, it's a wonderful democratic impulse for people to be out there doing their own thinking and doing their own research and stuff. But at the same time, most of them are coming up with crap. Well, most of them really aren't qualified. There's nothing wrong so, with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. The only way, the only way to combat that is through healthy debate. I'm Some a believer say, in the marketplace of ideas, but I think I feel like that that idea has become very unpopular recently. For somebody to say, you know, we we never landed on the moon. The way to, the way to correct that is not to just to, to delete the video. The way to correct that is to show them evidence and say, look, this is why you're an yeah. idiot, and this is why your idea is stupid. Not to put it that way, to put it a little bit more gracefully. But no, that wouldn't be the have, best communication yeah. strategy. But yeah, but to yeah. have a debate about it, right? And 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 to to Absolutely. straight Absolutely. through through ideas. I, I really think all these crazy ideas in the long run will be found to be, you know, things like that. Nobody's going to believe in that eventually. Like all these flat Earth people and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. eventually they'll be talked down. They just sometimes they can cause some damage in the meantime while they're spouting their crap. So. It's well, a difficult what, what, problem. I think. I think. One, but um, one, one issue is that there's such a small minority, but they could be just as loud as anybody else. They can garner as much attention as the New York Times because of this, you know, system that that we've created.
I think we might be getting to the point where we should discuss our biggest surprise. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You want to go first? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was, so I'm just looking this up really quick because I, when I saw the commercial end Mm -hmm. and I saw the words on the screen, I remember thinking for some reason that looks super modern and not from 1984 to me. And I realized it's because it's, it's in Garamond, right. which is like Apple's text that they invented, apparently. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was like a way of writing things that, um, that Apple basically invented. It's like they're proprietary. I'm trying to find an example of what it looks like. But for some reason, the, the font really did stand out to me. Also, on the side, another thing that surprised me is that this, this only aired one time. Other than the getting it in under the window for the Clio's things that went in small markets. But right. I don't remember this ad. I mean, I was a little kid and I was mostly just I couldn't see the TV through my tears of how bad the Redskins were playing. So how about you? What, what surprised me, uh, the most surprising thing for me, the Garamond thing is kind of cool. Being uh, somebody who does, who teaches writing. Uh, for a living, mm-hmm. but that was kind of neat. For me, it was finding out that it wasn't necessarily Apple versus Big Brother. It was distribution of the power of computing and data more than anything else. Yeah. They didn't believe that a central, there should be like a central repository for data and that one company should control access to data, not necessarily computers, but the access to data. It was more about a d- distribution of power to the many from the one, right? I thought that was really cool because it was a very, it is something that we're still grappling with. We see these really monolithic tech giants, Twitters and YouTubes and Facebooks. What's interesting is they they are sort of created by the market, right? I mean, Facebook dominated mm-hmm. the market and the market responded by rewarding them. Same with Twitter and same with YouTube. They produce a better product than anybody else. But what happened then is it is it created this kind of vacuum with within kind of its own its own industry, and so and so we're seeing that now. Whether whether you agree with the censorship or not, most people would agree it would be nice to have choices. When there aren't a lot of choices, things can happen. I mean, you know, there's a reason Teddy Roosevelt broke up Standard Oil was because. Mm-hmm. You know, Rockefeller, I was thinking about Rockefeller dominated absolutely everything. You know, you couldn't buy yeah. any any oil based product without giving money to Rockefeller. And that's because mm-hmm. Rockefeller went up and bought everybody else out and then closed them all down. So I think you know, what's funny is the message that they that they were. That's what that was a surprising thing was was finding out that that was the message. It wasn't just Apple versus IBM. Rather, it was democracy versus kind of this monolithic corporate structure. So. I thought yeah. that was cool. More the philosophical side of me, critical theory. I think that, yeah, I think there's, there was definitely some broader context to the argument, to, to, the, to the statement they were making, other than just, you know, we're going to make computers yeah. and, and <laughs> compete with your computer. You know, yeah. Yeah. it wasn't quite that simple minded. So, right. all right. So the question is, are we toasting this classic? Yeah. Question, question is for me, right? Obviously, I'm just judging against other, other ads. And I don't think there's any question. I mean, this would have to be a classic. Cool. It's a classic. It would hold up you today. Know, it's a terrific it? commercial. I think it holds up today pretty well. Yeah, this would yeah. still be an ad today. Um, maybe the context wouldn't make as much sense because you'd be like, what do you mean Apple's bringing down the big bad boys? Apple is the big bad boy. Right, right. right. But, you know, other than that, yeah, I, I think it still looks good. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. I definitely would toast this as an Pretty ad. Cool. As an ad. I mean, yeah. As an ad, know, yeah. It's a, so oh. I'm drinking out of a I'm drinking out of a plastic hotel room cup, so I'm definitely <laughs> do not have any capacity. I know that. I know that. Man. To make a chin chin, maybe if I 
that there you go. Nice. So bad, right? That wasn't bad at all. Yeah. That's my metal thermos clinking against the granite countertop. So, by the way, the uh, the the fact that it only ran once, uh, so they were sued by uh, George Orwell's estate. Yeah, uh, and the copyright yeah. holders of 1984, and they were issued a cease and desist for it. So, but I I think they're I think they only intended. I mean, that was kind of like the it adds to their air of mystery mm-hmm. about the company that they only ran it once. And if you didn't see it, yeah, I think that's cool. I think that's cool. Yeah. I think, I think they thought it was cool too. And they thought that people would think it was cool if they did that. So yeah, we'd create word of mouth, you know, it would get like newspapers and stuff to talk about. They said they got a whole bunch of free press just because local news all replayed the ad and talked about it all over the country. So they got, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of free advertising just by doing that. So they had lots of, you know, like uh, New York Times. I mean, everybody covered it. Because it was right. such a phenomenon at the time. So. Pretty shocking. Yeah, exactly. Well, very cool, my friend. I'm, I'm so glad yeah. you hear that. Yeah, I think that's I think that's in the canon of ads that we've uh, that we'll cover. I don't know if we'll ever talk about another ad, but who knows? So yeah, so I think we talked about the next thing on the rotation is book, mm-hmm. and I had mentioned doing Madeline Langle, Madeline L. Langle, or Madeline Langle. I don't know how to pronounce it, but yeah, a, ri- a wrinkle in time. Next time we get together for for a show, that's. I'm I'm in the rotation, so that's my pick. So let everybody know that. For Toast and the Classics, this is Dave MacArthur. This is Clint Lanier. See you next time. Bye. Peace, as you would say. That's it for episode 54 of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some hot chocolate, vanilla extract, and any rum of your choosing to make a spiked hot chocolate for our discussion of Madeline Langle's A Wrinkle in Time. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and let us know what your favorite all-time Super Bowl spot was. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. Mm-hmm.